Hello, I'm Jane Daly and this is my podcast for people who know. As an independent thought leader, coach and work-life advocate, I'm curious about people who are accelerating their work and life. And whilst finding their own balance, they have also found time to inspire others to do the same. My interest in Joan Keevil started when Joan and I were discussing some learning and development research. Joan's wealth of experience, as well as her curiosity, has always shone through. And that's something that is really important in the world of L&D. Joan, I'm absolutely delighted to welcome you to the podcast today. Thank you, Jane. Pleasure to be here. And Joan, um, tell us what you're up to at the moment. Well, it's the new year. Uh, I'm continuing to run my business, Designs on Learning, uh, from my home office. uh, And uh, also, obviously, being chair of the eLearning Network, which is... A volunteer role but uh, a passion of mine. Joan, the topic that we've chosen to talk about today is the power of networks. Tell us why you're so passionate about that topic. Networks are really important to me because in my day job I'm sitting at home on my own in my home office even before the, the likes of the pandemic in, that started last year uh, and I, I you know without a network around you you can feel very isolated but you can also learn a lot from your network and be inspired by them. Uh, and, you know, for me, it's about having a network of people out there that I can speak to, I can work with, I can ask for help about something. And also now being able to give something back to, to the wider network that I'm part of. Absolutely. So, Joan, are you up for coming in the time machine with me? I am, yes. <laughs> Bring it on. Um, a first experience for you in 2021, as you said. So, so let's get in the time machine. And Joan, tell me what you see in this time machine. What does it feel and look like for you? Well, the only one I know about really is the TARDIS. <laughs> so that means it's bigger inside than outside. Uh, lots of gadgets and things to play around with. I, I guess it's, it's the kind of mechanism to take you into a, the future that you might imagine for yourself or back to review the past. Um, actually, I'm, we're clearing out lots of old photographs at home here. So I've been having this blast from the past as I've been digitising slides from holidays I went on as a student and family photographs and stuff. So it's great to go back, but it's also great to imagine where will we be in another, you know, a number of years' time. It's just a great idea. And I think it's one that really you know, inspires your creativity and your imagination to just let rip. Absolutely. I mean, um, I always love it that your mind doesn't know the difference between perception and reality. So it's good to have a bit of fun. But, you know, on a serious note, just stop and think about what what happened in those times and and how they sort of powered um, you to get to where you are today and what difference or not they've made. Um, So I'm going to set the clock, Joan. I'm going to take us back to 2008 and I'm going to set the scene as to what was going on in the world in in 2008, which is... um, a little while back now, but some interesting stuff going on. So um, Barack Obama was the first African-American president of the United States of America, which was a huge, um, a huge thing at the time. And um, technology was soaring. Spotify was launched in Sweden. Uh, the giant Spotify that we all know today. I'm sure many of us didn't know who they were in 2008. Um, and... Um, SpaceX Falcon was um, making waves with, with, with the, as the world's um, first privately owned space launch vehicle. And of course, we saw some amazing things from SpaceX only last year. 
the Olympics took place in China. Um, from a music perspective, Katy Perry, hot, Katy Perry's Hot and Cold and I Kissed a Girl were uh, leading the charts. And the films of the day were The Dark Knight and Mamma Mia. Joan, tell us what you were up to in 2008. Well, it was a momentous year for me uh, because um, I was working in the BBC. At that time, Nick Shackleton-Jones was my boss. Prior to that, I'd been working with people like Nigel Payne and others. And I thought I was a lifer at the BBC. But uh, unfortunately, the, the head of training that came in uh, decided that my team uh, and I of learning consultants were no longer required. I think it was partly because we weren't generating revenue. Anyway, to cut a long story short, they told me in the spring that my post was closing and, and I would have to leave. So that was a bit of a bombshell. But fortunately, I had a few months to work through that time. And uh, prior to leaving, leaving in November, I won my first ever gold learning technologies award. So I kind of went out on a high with, with Nick Shackleton-Jones. And he was very encouraging and said, look, set up your own company, go freelance. And it's kind of like, oh, can I do this? Me? <laughs> you know, what, how would I, you know, so lots of concern about whether that was feasible. Um, but in the end, I jumped. And in December 2008, I set up Designs on Learning. And I, haven't, I must say, I've never looked back. So that was the big change in my life from being a school teacher originally, working in BBC education for a number of years, then in corporate training in BBC training and development, and then suddenly being on my own. Um, it was a very steep learning curve, but luckily my husband had set up and run a company a few years earlier. So he was very supportive through that period. And again, luckily, um, I still had some projects to finish for the BBC as I was leaving and into the new year 2009. And I did get some initial commission, uh, commissions for Designs on Learning Limited um, into the new year, which just sort of got me started. So, yeah, a tumultuous year. I don't remember the music. I remember also Barack <laughs> Obama. But yes. uh, some of the music passed me by and it took me a while to get onto the digital music, um, you know, into the swing of that. But, uh, yeah, that's why I chose that year to, to talk about, really. And Joan, I mean, it strikes me that you, you are a huge advocate for, um, you know, starting your own thing and driving your ability. But, you know, coming back to these power of networks, you did mention at the beginning how important it was for you at that time to build your networks. What advice would you give people who were thinking of doing a similar thing to you and, and, and getting involved in networks? What advice would you give to people? Well, funnily enough, I was just giving out some advice the other day to an ELN member who thinks he's about to go freelance and wondered what advice anybody had for him. And for me, it was take the plunge, you know, go for it, but work your network because, you know, my, my business started with me knowing people in the BBC and then word of mouth, I heard that somebody wanted a French speaking instructional designer and I used to be a French teacher. So my French is pretty fluent. That led me into a relationship with a new company. That spurred me on into other ones. And then people, you know, I bumped into people I knew at a conference, um, ex-BBC, uh, or somebody contacted me on LinkedIn or whatever. And all my work, I realised, began to come in through word of mouth. Uh, so not marketing, not, you know, not really pushing myself, doing any sales campaigns, but um, having people get in touch because they, they knew me or they'd heard of me or they were interested in what I was doing or saying, 
Uh, and that's been, that for me is part of the power of networking um, that, you know, you, 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 and obviously you can end up working with a whole bunch of people that you really like and enjoy working with. Um, that's the beauty of being able to go freelance. Um, and, uh, and even now, my business has expanded a bit this year in terms of me subcontracting a lot more work. Um, but I'm doing that with people who have been directors of the ELN, uh, who I know and trust and, and, you know, who will definitely do a great job for me. So, again, that's just building that network and reaching out, um, you know, to, to, uh, to, to get things going. I think in terms of advice for people new to this, uh, it, a lot of it is that sense of, am I up for it? Am, am I able to do it? Will I make a success of it? Is it too risky for me? And the more you can contact people in your network, who have done it before, well, it's like anything, isn't it? If you can learn from where other people have gone wrong, then you don't have to make the same mistakes that they might have made. Absolutely, Joan. And, and, and looking back at that time, what would you tell a less experienced Joan in 2008? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, um, I, funnily enough, I, I've done one other podcast last year with uh, Andrew Jacobs on imposter syndrome. And I do think when I look back, I, I have a slight regret that I was very keen to equally do e-learning and leadership development. But I had this very nagging doubt that I wasn't quite good enough to be a leadership trainer. And therefore, when, uh, you know, when, when the e-learning work came in, it was comfortable to go along with that and obviously make a success of it. That's not in question, I don't think. But I haven't done as much leadership work as I might have wanted to. And, and I think that's part of the sense of not wanting to, you know, being a bit scared of going out of your comfort zone, maybe thinking I'm not quite adequate, uh, I'm not quite good enough to make a success of that. And you know what the irony is? I had the BBC paid for me to do a master's degree in management learning and leadership before I left the BBC. And I had all this, uh, you know, knowledge in my head. But I was lacking the practical experience uh, that made me feel, you know, I, I would be more confident doing it. So there's an awful lot in there, I think, just to unpick that a bit about, um, you know, whether you do feel confident, whether you whether you are confident or not, whether you just take a jump and go for it and learn from failure or learn from any mistakes or just generally reflect on how you could do it better another time. And I, and I mean, looking, I think it's really interesting what you were saying about leadership. But in 2008, leadership was in a very different place, Joan, to where it is today as well. And it needs to evolve so much further anyway. But yeah. at that time, it was like a bit of a club, wasn't it? It was um, very much, I, I think, about my own career and, and getting involved in some leadership stuff. And there was an, you know, as there is today, most of the money spent in L&D is spent on leadership but it is in question as to what value that that really adds and I think that um at that time it was quite difficult so you need to be less hard on yourself is what I'm saying <laughs> to you <laughs> but um Joan let's get back in this time machine and move to 2021 as we are in now right at the beginning of 2021 tell us about what you are observing and how you're coping with this situation I'm normally a very you know I'm a glass half full person and I'm normally optimistic, uh, energetic, you know, keen to get stuck into things. But I think even I've found it tough when 
we were given all these new restrictions. And when you look at the numbers of the virus spiraling out of control, I think that can really affect the most optimistic of people. I am observing a lot of anxiety, a lot of potential mental ill health, uh, especially among people who feel they're not coping. I am by nature a resilient person. And again, um, you know, anything I can do to help people become more resilient, I will try and do. I used to do a lot of stress management training, uh, strategic stress management training, though, where you look at the underlying causes of stress and, uh, and deal with those rather than telling people to take exercise and not drink so much, you know, to, to deal with the symptoms. Um, a lot, I think I've seen a lot of people in the network and, and beyond who are really struggling in terms of, well, maybe they've been furloughed, which is one thing, but if they've been made redundant, uh, it's very hard to get a new job in this climate. And people are posting messages about doing, you know, 100 applications, etc. And And people are thinking, well, maybe I should just go alone uh, and see what the world is out there. And that's where I think we can, as a network, support people. Because I think my, my impression, speaking to the people I work with, is there is a lot of work out there uh, for freelancers. In a way, there's potentially a risk to the bigger corporates because do you really want to hold on to a lot of staff on your payroll if the work is fluctuating, if you don't know where what skills people need, if they're not even very available for training? Having a freelance solution for a large corporate could be an interesting way forward. Okay, it may be hard to manage from the inside, but it gives you a lot of flexibility. But it, but it is all about, you know, can you get that work in? Uh, are, you, are people relying on you to be the, the breadwinner for the whole family? Uh, or is the risk, you know, can the risk be reduced, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so I think just, just to sum up a little bit, I think anxiety you know, really struggling to cope. And also if you're a parent of young kids, you know, as you'll know, you know, having to manage all this situation where your time is not necessarily your own anymore. But thinking it further through, there is this opportunity for more work for people who are willing and able to take it on. But it is going to be about networks of trusted providers uh, that are, you know, commissioning each other to do work um, quickly to a high standard um, and th- that work is out there I'm absolutely convinced of it it's out there for people I, I totally agree with you Joan I, I am seeing huge amounts of work I mean this is the moment where organisational development learning and development coaching you know we can go on into all sorts of different dimensions you know behavioural change expertise behavioral science you know um this is the moment where the profession in its broadest sense of people development as a totality for adults who are in the world of work can make a huge difference really we really can so i'm i'm absolutely with you i'm not seeing a shortage of work what i am seeing is people are starting to ask very different questions Mm -hmm. Um, you know they've made significant investments they've often done that without a lot of evidence to back it up Um, and they've kind of maybe gone in rushed into something rather than maybe more made more of a considered choice and I think it's it's the time of us as professionals under that broad umbrella of people development to make sure we're asking the right questions of people we're looking 
slightly longer term and we're, we're really pushing our professionalism and our expertise right to the top of what we do rather than accepting the lower end because I think that's the thing that will, will allow us to become more valuable whether we're employed we employ ourselves etc etc but there's definitely plenty of work out there and I, I, I agree with you I think people should be reaching out for you know support via networks mm. and the word that you use is trust tell me a bit more about you know think about people that are not used to networking and how they can work out whether they trust something because it's often the reason people don't join networks because of the trust ex element I did see an equation recently and I was using it in some e-learning and it's about the fact that you know trust is about expert knowledge and working with other people but it's also affected by self-interest so for trust to be high self-interest in the relationship has to be low so I'm not networking with you because I'm thinking, oh, Jane's a good person. She knows lots of people. She'll get me lots of business. I'm networking with you because I know you have a lot of knowledge and, and you, will, you, know, you will share that with me willingly for our mutual benefit. And, and therefore, I, you know, I trust you implicitly to, to working together. I know that you won't be doing things behind my back or underselling me or exploiting me or whatever. And I think... Trust comes with um, collaboration, honesty, you know, feedback, constructive or otherwise. For me, uh, you know, I might, there might be a period in a, a relationship where, uh, well, I'll give you an example of one of the ex-directors I'm working with. I had commissioned him to do some work for me, but he then came back to me and asked me to do some instructional design for one of his clients. Well, I was actually a bit nervous, as you can be, um, and I, but I needed him to give me the feedback in an open and honest way to tell me if what I was doing was on the right track, was it good enough, how could it be improved? And once we got over the first product, uh, you know, the project, it, it worked fine. And, and now that trust is there and the communication is there. Uh, and therefore we have a solid foundation which we can build on as and when we need to involve each other again. So replicate that with other associates that I'm working with. It allows you to do more in your business then because you can't clone yourself much as you might want to so you've got to find ways of working with other people or limit yourself to to just doing a certain amount of work i'm i'm not at the stage in my life where i'm taking over the world so you know i'm not going to be growing exponentially as a company <laughs> other people will be in different situations but i do know others who are again working with up to 16 20 associates who are all trusted colleagues um, and with all the communication channels nowadays including things like slack where you can you know keep it all private and tailor it by topic or whatever you know that that is working really really well and his overheads are very low because you know he's subcontracting people but i guess they're taking the responsibility for for all the company side of stuff and and he doesn't have to pay them all the overheads that he would otherwise have so does that answer your question i'm going off at a tangent a little no bit. it absolutely answers the question joan and and the element of trust is you know it's a two-way street you know the only way that you generate trust is that you have to give some your behavior as well as somebody else's behavior is what creates it it's not what a one-way street and often people sort of um don't join things because they're, they're they're nervous of that and i think until you try and you have a go and you see what's behind 
some of the you know curtains that we put up for ourselves. Mm. You don't know whether it's any good or not. And I, you know, I think I would urge anybody at this moment who is struggling, whether they're working for a company or themselves or thinking about doing one or the other, is to just reach out and, and, and chat to people, as you say, Joan, who are maybe slightly further ahead or have had a slightly different experience. And they may know someone who knows someone who knows someone, etc. And, and that's how it works, really, isn't it? And I, I think it's something that we don't need huge investment in we don't need lots of different things in it's something we can all do it's in our hands talking of investment i think what is key is that you invest in yourself so you do need to give yourself time to to learn stuff it's even more important as an individual i think that you keep up to speed with what's happening you know what are the latest well they might be fads or they might be absolutely goal-changing initiatives but you can't sit on your own in a dark room and, and just you know be very focused on one thing. You've got to have that wider perception and understanding of what's going on out there. As you say, you're observing the world. How is the world changing? What's different? Well, actually, everybody's working from home. Um, okay, what does that mean for people? What are the skills that they need? You need to teach other people or that other people need to learn or that you need to learn because I guess in all of this recent change, it's not a new thing, but people keep talking about a skill shortage and you, you sort of start to despair because you've been in the learning and development industry sort of like me most of your life and you think, are we still not getting this right? You know, how, what can we do, as you say, to make an impact? Uh, so that for me is about being able to identify the skills gaps um, and doing stuff to, to fill them and help, helping people to see where the effort should go. So, I mean, for example, I've spent some time over the summer last year helping people transition a face-to-face training workshop to virtual delivery. One was Adobe Connect, another was Zoom, another will be Teams. But I've been working with clients on that way, on that basis of that conversion. And it's thankfully, you know, touch wood, it's going very well because we don't know when it'll all end. But um you can't stand still basically no you absolutely can't you can't stand still joan and on that note i think we should move this time machine forward a little bit and see uh see what it's going to be like in 2030 now if we listen to the experts people like mckinsey deloitte boston consulting group etc etc all of those different people that are doing more advanced predictive analysis you know whatever that means including the world economic forum there is a belief that by 2030 there'll be many less people in full-time employment so there won't be this sort of you know contract for life as you mentioned earlier and and we're seeing that erode year after year but that it will be an extreme where there could be only around 30 percent of people that are contracted to an organization which is a very different position to where we are today so lots more work will be contingent or gig whatever title you'd like to give it so for you what are your hopes and dreams for this industry what do you foresee i think possibly if i can say so without offending anybody a more professional approach and i don't mean that in any derogatory way but it is the case at the moment where somebody can just decide one day that they want to be an e-learning designer or whatever, and they just start without necessarily having what I would call the underpinning theory, knowledge, background, 
expertise. Despite all our best efforts, there's still a huge amount of page-turning e-learning out there that should just really be a PDF or a PowerPoint. Um, how do we move away from that? We shouldn't be allowing that kind of thing anymore. You know, we need to be focusing on real behaviour changing stuff that makes a difference. And we need the industry and, and our bosses in the corporates, etc., to stop counting throughput. And I, I speak as a, I've done a lot of compliance training. It's not just about saying 9,000 people in my company have completed a GDPR course and I can prove it. It's about them being able to say, because we got everybody through this training programme, and we looked at the impact on our performance, we now know that we have avoided X number of really serious data breaches as a result. You know, it's that impact on people's behaviour that we need to be um, preaching about and, and, and shouting about from the rooftops. So I know there's a lot of talk in the industry about, you know, moving away from being what Andrew Jacobs calls the shopkeeper to being the engineer. And I know that there's still a lot of people in L&D who are not at the top table. Uh, I mean, back in, in BBC training days, the Director General launched a, a strategy called Creative Futures. And I was lucky enough to work with the HR department to go around all the heads of networks and things and say, right, what skills do your people need to deliver this business strategy? And that was then the beginning of a new round of you know, training and learning initiatives. Now that, I mean, that must be, well, I left the BBC in 2008, so that must have been 15 years ago. So there's a little bit of me with my deja vu hat on thinking, what, again? <laughs> so how, could we make this change going forward um, so that we can leave that conversation behind and we know that everybody's pointing in the right direction, asking the right questions, challenging you know, solutions that are maybe not really fit for purpose and not accepting a solution without an analysis of the impact and the evidence afterwards um, to confirm that it wasn't effective. Because, you know, when you think the amount of money that's being spent on L&D, e-learning, whatever, I mean, it's, I don't know, is it millions or billions? It's huge. It's, it's billions. It's, it's now just over, if you look at Statistica, uh, just over $400 billion dollars. So yeah, and that doesn't include coaching, Joan. That's just what's reported yeah. on learning and development. That doesn't include. So that would be things that um, people spend money on. There'd be internal things that L and D and and other teams around the business are doing as well. So we can probably double that, if not make it much higher. But only between seven to ten percent. And the figures I'm quoting here are from the late the last Emerald Works report who now own the towards maturity data uh, but that's also from josh spursin's work that he did with deloitte between seven and percent can be proven to stick so it's not a good story and a lot of people don't like to hear that story joan but i think coming back to your word on professionalism i totally agree with you and i and i, I do worry that there's a lot of talk oh, well and d now need to be marketing or it needs to be this or it now needs to be that and we need to stop that behavioral science learning science whatever you want to call it design science all of that stuff are incredibly important and as we move to a much more complex world of work volatile complex adaptive whatever words you want to use we need to even step it up further and we can't even cope today with yeah. with what we're dealing with let alone cope with 
workforces that are not employed by people. So you can't even ring fence people. I mean, you and I are uh, slightly more mature. Uh, I'm going to use that word, uh, more experienced. But it's very rare that L&D departments spend their money on people like you and me, unless we were a very, very senior leader. And that's crazy. You know, we could still have 40 years of work left in us. People are having 100 year lives. So we've got to stop looking at we're spending our money in these little pockets like we used to. We don't have unlimited resources. And I think spending them wisely to make us more professional it is a huge opportunity, Joan. And I, I really like your thinking. But I'm going to be really brave now mm -hmm. um, and ask you a question about women. Look, as an inspirational woman in the industry, someone that I absolutely look up to, and you are incredibly professional, Joan, and, and a delight to to talk to you, very challenging, and I love that. Look, as we're seeing for women, is um, not only in this industry, women in general, is that the evidence is clear that the pandemic has had a huge impact on an already challenging path for women. What advice would you give to somebody who's looking to progress their career into a more senior role where it's much more challenging for women? What advice would you give them? Oh, tricky one, isn't it? I think, I mean, you've got to do what's right for you. I think we've got ourselves in a situation where women are having their family later and later. I, I didn't have Jamie till I was 40, but that was for various other reasons. And in the end, I managed to have a, a daytime nanny come in and I worked uh, I didn't work for six months and then I went back four days a week for a year and then five days a week and that worked for me uh, and just had the one son so it, I know one of my directors Gemma has three kids at home she's now homeschooling them yet again she's got quite a demanding job a uh, very demanding job and she's obviously keen to do a lot for the ELN as well um, and it's just really, really difficult. I think you have to be very clear on your goals. You have to manage your time very well. Hopefully, you have a partner who will share the load with you uh, so that you're not just expected to pick up on all the non-work stuff on your own. Maybe if you're fortunate, you can bring in some help to do things that you don't like, like for me, the housework, <laughs> you know, et cetera. Um, but... It, it's also about um, being listened to and having the confidence to raise your voice and be heard. And what you discover from the podcast is a lot of women have allowed their voices not to be heard yeah. and are suffering for it. And there's, from the evidence in there, there's, there's no real justification for treating women as lesser citizens or lesser beings uh, intellectually and otherwise. And it's just that there's a whole lot of accepted norms that we just need to throw off now and move on. Because actually there's plenty of, I mentioned it earlier, I've worked with plenty of men who are not totally honest uh, and professional. And women are far more collaborative, I feel, more trusting, more trustworthy. Um, and we get the job done, especially when we work together. But uh, so... I think the world is out there. There's lots of opportunities. You mentioned 10 years ahead. I mean, to be perfectly honest, Jane, I'm hoping that I'll be retired by the <laughs> somewhere yeah. in 10 years' time. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. But um, I am keen that, you know, the network, the ELN, continues to thrive and grow. Uh, and, um, you know, I've got some really good people on there, including women, good women, 
who I'm hoping will take that on and share the same values uh, and promote the network uh, in, in the way that I've tried to over the last few years. Uh, and I'm already planning an exit strategy uh, <laughs> so that I'm not doing everything and I'm really giving them the opportunity to grow simple things like switching the chair around when we have our monthly meetings, which of course are virtual now. So I just let people take turns to chair the meeting which and, and do webinars and things. And I'm constantly surprised how for very competent people, they, they still sometimes find it quite a challenge. Um, and I guess it's like any new thing. You know, you have to really get stuck in and do it. Yeah. And then you can get the feedback. You know what? You were brilliant. Uh, yeah. Don't worry about doing it the next time. Uh, and so that's the whole thing about practice, you know, learning from doing, you know, all the kind of experiential stuff that we sometimes go on about as, as theorists in learning. But yes, it is about doing it and getting that feedback and then looking at reflecting. Reflection is really important. Reflecting on what worked well, what maybe wasn't quite so good, but what you can do to make it better the next time. Absolutely. And Joan, listen, I know you're thinking of retiring, but we're not going to let you go from the industry. You do know this, don't you? <laughs> but I, I absolutely know that the seeds that you are planting in the e-learning network are going to flourish by that time because it really is is starting to take off and you know well done for you for that which is fantastic but i'm going to be really even braver now and give you my amazing time machine and let you take us anywhere you like forward backwards wherever so tell us where we're going and why oh that's a hard one well maybe it's just about Maybe it's not 10 years. Maybe we can do it sooner because this pandemic has speeded everything up. Yeah. You know, maybe we can have more people in, say, five years' time. For me, I, I meant to mention it earlier and I forgot, but for me, we have to have a mind shift. Uh, we have to change our mindset so that we stop thinking of training and learning as something that is done to us, uh, which is especially the case in compliance learning e-learning and we actually take each of us takes responsibility for our own learning we do it outside of work so why are we not doing it inside of work i know or i should know what skills i have that are relevant current and what skills i don't have um, and I, I have hopefully i have intelligence to work out where i should focus my efforts i'm not going to start learning articulate or evolved because I hate doing the build, but I need to understand what those products offer as an e-learning designer so that I can get the best amount of interactivity and engagement for whatever I'm designing. But I think, you know, we're all of us absolutely capable. People who, who could hardly, you know, download an email on their phone, friends of mine in their 60s, um, are now using Zoom with gay abandon, setting up digital meetings you know meeting friends having quizzes people have made this quantum leap forward and don't assume that just because you've got gray hair you can't manage technology because you can yeah. you just you know it's just a mind again it's a mindset so with all this stuff changing i think we need to kind of jump on that um acceleration and make a few things happen so making sure everybody's got broadband you know giving more access to to the kit I'd love to see us as an industry helping the education profession to help with all this homeschooling. I'm not quite sure how we do it, but there ought to be a way. Um, and just generally, what well, we're all doing online shopping now, aren't we? Again, that's another hurdle. 
when I was in the BBC earlier on, you know, in the 90s, people had lots of BBC materials for language teaching and learning, which were absolutely cutting edge. And most of the time, the teachers didn't use them. And in the end, my strategy was to go out and show people how to use them in a learning context. Yeah. And they came in thinking, oh, I don't know about, you know, I haven't got the time to look at all these programs. And they left thinking, oh, that, that is perfect for my class. I'm going to let, you know, I'm going to download that. And blah, blah, blah. So it's about breaking down the barriers by having the end goal so attractive that people will fight through whatever to reach it. And I think for me, that's where the technology becomes a seamless um, tool to get people into a new place where, you know, as I said, they're more responsible for their own learning. They have access to the resources that they need. They can transform their skills. And to be perfectly honest, imagine the impact it would have on our economy post-pandemic. So that and the vaccine, we're on a roll. Definitely. Inspirational, Joan. I love it. And Joan, tell us something may surprise listeners about you because I know a lot of them hear you and see you in so many places in L&D you're one of our uh, celebrities but tell us something that that may surprise people about you should I be perfectly honest now <laughs> I'll be 68 next month <laughs> no. well that is definitely a shocker <laughs> so you know I've already I'm lucky enough to already have some pensions coming in and as I said to you earlier you know I, it, my strategy would be to to scale back we're just about to move house so there's lots of stuff fingers crossed lots of stuff happening there and we will be in a different place hopefully next month never mind in a few years time I, I, I tend to think like you I do love what I do maybe this won't be a surprise actually that I think I would find it extremely difficult not to do any work anymore in terms of learning and development so maybe I should just admit that um, I'll probably just keep keep my finger in <laughs> maybe until I fall off my perch <laughs> I love it I love it, it, it what, what honesty from you thank you so much for for sharing that and I really do love your advice on mind shift and, and let's do it earlier why wait till 2030 um, let's sort this out right now this is a huge opportunity this is our moment so uh, let, let's accelerate that and amplify that as a community Joan um, your passion was about the power of networks is there anything that you would like to say to listeners before we close on that topic I think just try and appreciate the value that you can get from a powerful and supportive network. It's not, I would say it's no longer what you know, because knowledge changes so fast. It's who you know. If you can tap into a network, and I would say it like we have in the ELN, you know, we've got conversations going about people looking for staff or, or, or people to um, create solutions for them. Um, we will have lots of virtual events again this year until we know exactly what's happening. Eventually we'll have face-to-face -face events. But I, I, at the conference, actually, I introduced it a few years ago. I actually do a speed dating session and I have a whistle or a bell or something. And I say to people, right, prepare an elevator pitch about yourself. You've got one minute. Now pair up. I give my elevator pitch to you. You then give your elevator pitch to me. And then you move on and you do the same with another person and another and another. And, that in a, and in about half an hour, 40 minutes, you can, you can meet, you know, almost that many people at the conference when you can't 
always do that on your own because maybe you're a bit shy, you don't like to start a conversation, you don't know where to begin. And that the buzz that you get, you cannot, the reason I have to have a whistle is you cannot hear yourself speak. Yeah. The excitement, the energy is fantastic. And I think that's what we miss about also the face-to-face things at the moment is that meeting of new people and building new relationships. We can do it online and we'll get through this and we'll get back together again. But, you know, just, it's what, it's also what keeps you young. You've got to, you know, if you've got lots of energetic people around you with great ideas and great creativity, you can't possibly sit and grow old and look back on the past and wish there was something you'd done that you didn't do. It's just, it just doesn't work. So, so go for it, build your network and make the most of it. Joan, all I can do is thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today and sharing your expertise and your passion for the power of networks. Thank you so much. It's been my pleasure. Thank you, Jane. And uh, thank you to the listeners as well out there. Um, This is one episode of many. There's lots more episodes of people who know work-life podcasts out there. Uh, We've also got articles, research, all sorts of things for you to explore and experts as well. So please don't forget to have a look at the website. For now, I'll close it there. Thank you.